anybody said I started preaching in 1976, you are not my friend. <laughs> not my friend at all. What's quite, quite interesting that I didn't know that it was going to work out in this way, but I'm starting the sermon, according to that clock, at 1146. And this is my 11th year as a pastor of Deliverance Temple and my 46th birthday well. So ever since 2011, my birthday and my pastor anniversary coincide because I was given the church by my father on my 35th birthday. And so this not only celebrates my birthday, but also my pastoral anniversary. So grateful to pastor you, grateful to be uh, called to do uh, such a thing. And so Let's just get right into the word of God, and then I will, uh, it's going to be quite, uh, quite a bit different than normal, but I'll, I will show you how we're going to lay it out. So let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, first of all, we just want to thank you, appreciate you. God, I, I, I want to just thank you for even uh, giving my father the wisdom to uh, give me an opportunity while he yet lived, and he was able to see me in the role for so long. He didn't wait so long to do it. So I'm grateful. I do believe he's shining down from heaven and watching. I do miss him watching from that first row, but I'm so grateful that we were able to do ministry together in a strong way in the last several years. And God, I'm asking that you would just give me strength, that you would hide me beneath the cross, that you would cause my words to penetrate the hearts and the minds of the people and, and allow me to open myself up just to show them a glimpse of what these last 11 years have been like. And I ask that you would touch everyone that needs to be touched. So I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on with your Bibles and your hands. Repeat after me. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I will have what it says I will have. I'm a part of Deliverance Temple where we love by living our vision every day. We connect with our Creator continually, we confess our deliverance consistently. We commit to serve creatively. We communicate Christ's love compassionately. Pastor Andre, feed me this word. Oh, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. All right, so, so we're going to do things just, just, just a little uh, different. I only have three verses, which is normally not like me. I usually use a lot of verses. I'm what I would call, I'm a Bible study type preacher, which I take verse by verse, but we're not going to do any verses. Sister Mitchell, it won't be till the end that we're going to read. We're going to read three verses. And the three verses I'm going to use, I'm going to take them out of context. So normally I do not do that. I do not take things out of context without letting you know but we're only going to do three verses, and I'm going to take those three verses out of context a little bit, but it will make sense by the time we get to the end. So would you just flash the title up on the screen? The title is simply this, 11 Things. 
Somebody said it with me. Say 11 things. All I'm going to do is I'm going to speak of 11 things that I've learned in 11 years at pastoring. I have several things that I could speak of, but because of this being the 11th year, I'm going to give us 11 things. But halfway through the 11 things, I'm going to have 11 honorable mentions. But the honorable mentions, I will not expound on them. I'm just going to drop them and move on. So you may have to take a note of them or take a picture of them or, or a screenshot because I'm not going to, I don't want to keep us here forever. I was telling my sons what I was doing. I was telling Dylan what I was doing. And he was like, Daddy, we're going to be there all day. I said, I promise we're not going to be here all day. They stay on, they stay on me. They, they don't know what it's like growing up in church when we grew up in church. We was really in there all day long and had to come back for night service. So I'm not going to take all day, but, but I, I, I want to drop a lot of wisdom nuggets for you to understand. And, and I, I borrowed the, uh, the theme and the, the picture of the theme from uh, a show called Stranger Things, which one that I really haven't watched a lot, but I know a lot of people are into a Netflix show called Stranger Things. So that whole font comes from that. So 11 things that I've learned in 11 years of pastoring. So let's start with number one. I'll have you flash it up on the screen. It's never as good as you thought, but also never as bad as you thought. First, let me read it again. It's never as good as you thought, but also never as bad as you thought. So how I learned this is from my time of preaching and then going back and editing the videos and putting them on YouTube and then putting them on the app so that you can hear them over and over and over. One thing that I've learned out and learned that it's never as good as you thought it was, but it's also never as bad as you thought it was. So there's times where I leave here and y'all be like, oh, that was great. I'm thinking that is absolutely terrible. But when I listened to it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then there's other times like, whoo, God really used me today. And I get and listen to it. It ain't as good as I thought it was. <laughs> so I want to tell you this about life. Balance is the key to life. You, 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 you're never as bad as you think you are. And you're never as good as you think you are. You got to learn how to live somewhere in the middle. You're not as ugly as you think you are. And you're not as cute as you think you are. You're somewhere in the middle. We don't want you to have too high self-esteem, but we don't want you to have too low self-esteem. Learn how to live in the middle, in the even keel, and let everything end up, as they say, in the wash. It'll all come out in the wash. It's going to be okay. Teenagers and young people, it's not as bad as it seems, and it's not as good as it seems. It reminds me of, of my son, Draylon. Draylon can go to extremes. That is the best meal I've ever had in my life. You said that two weeks ago. You said that about something else. Oh, that's the nastiest food I've ever tasted in my life. But two weeks ago, you liked it. So, so it's, it, there, there is, there is uh, extremes on both sides. But don't live in the extremes. Stay in the middle, and you won't go through all the ups and the downs that the devil wants you to go through. So say that with me. It's never, it's never. as good as you think. And then it's never as bad as you think. All right, let's move on to point number two or the, or the second thing. Frustration lives at the intersection between dreams 
and provisions. Frustration lives at the intersection between dreams and provisions. In other words, when you dream on this level and the provision is on this level, that space in between creates frustration. And if you know that and if you can understand that, then you will realize that it's going back to the first one. It's not as bad as you think. You're just frustrated. So let me, let me put it to, to you this way. If you're dreaming for the man of your dreams, but all the people you're dating is way down here, then you get frustrated. Anytime somebody wants to take you out, you don't feel like going out because you know I'm dreaming up here. But the folk that I end up attracting, they ain't got no teeth in their mouth. They ain't got no job. They, I, I mean, or, or they take me out and then I got to pay half the bill. They don't, it don't seem right. And what it does, it creates a space of frustration. But I'm encouraging you to never stop dreaming high. Because if you don't dream high, you won't know when things are low. You will settle for low if you don't choose to dream high. So fight through the frustration. It will be frustrating. I, you, you, you can't be one of them Christians that act like everything's okay. No, I'm frustrated. I, I, I'm tired. One of uh, my, my good friends, actually my goddaughter, she, she uh, uses this terminology and she said, other people have said it, that the dating pool has pee in it. In other words, once you get out there in the dating scene, it ain't what you thought it was. It's rougher than what you thought. Finding a good woman or finding a good man, just because they look good on Instagram and they look good on Facebook, don't mean they're good in real life. And just because they may feel good to you, they're not always good for you. And so it creates a lot of frustration. But what I need you to understand, frustration allows you to grow. And because I'm a pastor and I'm pastoring in mediocre Muncie, there's a lot of frustration comes with pastoring. But I have to allow the frustration to grow me. One thing I learned is that people don't move by motivation alone. People move at the speed of thought. So my job is to get people to think. And it's hard to get people to think who don't want to think. Because what it does, it makes me frustrated. But I've learned that I can grow through the frustration. So the intersection between dreams and provisions creates a lot of frustration. You're, you're not depressed. You're frustrated. You're not bipolar. You're frustrated. Some of y'all are bipolar, but that's not who I'm talking about right now. You, you're just frustrated. And guess what you can do when you're frustrated? You can just sometimes just relax. It's not going to fix overnight. Prince Charming ain't going to show up overnight. Your job ain't going to turn around overnight. Your boss ain't going to get good overnight. So learn how to go through things. The Bible calls it long suffering. Learn how to take some stuff and live in the space of frustration and grow through it. Somebody say, I can grow through it. All right, that leads me to number three. Your budget does not determine your excellence. So even though you're, you're dreaming on one level and your provisions are on another level, in other words, you don't have the resources 
to do what you're dreaming, it doesn't mean you can't be excellent on every level. Every level you can be excellent on. You, you may not be able to go to the Fiji Islands and enjoy yourself because your budget won't allow it, but you can drive to the reservoir and have fun at the reservoir because you can be excellent on any level. You can still vacate, you can still enjoy yourself, you can still have fun, you can still wash your car. Your car may not look like a Rolls Royce, but you can still wash it, you can pull the fries out of the seat, you can pull the ice cream out of the seat, you can still take care of it because your budget does not determine your excellence. And many times God won't allow your budget to raise until you take care of what you have where you are. There's a lot of things I've wanted to do in this church that I couldn't do because we didn't have the budget to do it. So what we start doing, we start doing it on a shoestring budget. We're going to do it the best way we can. We're going to do the lights. We're going to do the screens. We're going to take our time. We're going to make it happen. We're going to enjoy all, all where we are on the way to where we're going. Your budget does not determine your excellence. Amen. Pastor, I can't dress like you. Who's asking you to dress like me? All I got is a t-shirt and shorts. Well, come to church in your t-shirt and shorts. But get rid of the mustard and ketchup stains first. You, you ain't got to have a three-piece suit. You can dress however makes you feel comfortable, but be excellent at whatever you put on. I, I can't come to church because I don't have no pantyhose. Well, we're not really worried about the pantyhose, but if you're going to wear pantyhose, don't have seven holes in them. Just, I mean, go, go to the dollar store and buy you some pantyhose, put them on, come to church. You can be excellent on any level that you're on. They, my, my wife and family took me to Ruth Chris yesterday, which is an excellent restaurant with excellent high prices, and I enjoyed it and appreciated it, and I didn't have to pull out my car to pay for anything, and I loved it. But if you are selling food out of a food truck, no, you're not Ruth Chris, but your, 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 your counter should at least be clean. Yeah. You, you should have all the proper documents so you can sell what you need to sell. I don't care if you're using food stamps to buy the food that you're turning around and selling. You can still be excellent on any level. Your budget does not determine your excellence. All right, let's go to point number four. See, we're, we're moving fast. If you assume, somebody, I think Dylan raised his hand when I said we're moving fast. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do with these kids. Number four, if you assume you know where your enemies will come from, you'll get blindsided. I'll take my time, I'm going to talk about this for a, a little bit. There, there's an old saying to uh, boxers and other people says, keep your head on a swivel. What that means is you got to look everywhere because if you just look in one direction, you'll get blindsided. In, in football, they call them misdirection plays where they shift the whole line one way to get the defense to think we're going right. And at the last second, they move left. And if you think or if you assume you know where your enemies come from, you might be blindsided. You, you, you might walk in a room as a black person full of white people and think, these folk don't like me. 
and find out they actually loved you and the folk that don't like you is the one that looked the most like you. So never assume you know. Keep your head on the swivel. So starting off taking over the ministry from my father, there, there was a lot of things that we had done very well. But one of the things that we had not done very well, we had not moved and progressed into the 21st century very well. So before I took over, the Lord told me one time I was standing at the old church and I was doing something. Nobody was there and I was praying and I happened to be on the pulpit doing something. And the Lord told me, you guys have the bomb church. I was like, oh, well, thank you. But then he said for 1987. But this was 2007. So basically he was saying, you're 20 years behind in some things. But I wasn't the pastor. I wasn't the leader. So I, I just enjoyed what we had. But when I took over that it was my job to take us into the 21st century. We didn't have a website. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a mission statement. We, 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 didn't, we weren't on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We, we didn't have a presence. In, and this is 2011. And, and many churches were like that too. And in the pandemic, you've seen a lot of churches that just were not 21st century churches. They, they were just doing what you normally do. And that kind of stuff would take you out. So it was my job to progress us into the 21st century, to, to raise our level. And we were able to do all those things. We were able to be on live and all that. It was my job to push us there. But here's the thing. I thought because I was going to push us there that my biggest pushback or my biggest trouble was going to come from the older people. The older people who this is the way we do church. This is the way we go to church. They're stuck in their tradition. They're stuck in their ways. I want to bring lights in. I want to bring screens in. I, I, I don't want to be looking at no Bible flipping pages. I want to do it all digital. I know these old folk are not going to want to go, so I'm going to have to try to push these old people. But what I found out is the old people was the ones who was right behind me. I said, I want to do the lights. They was like, Pastor, come on, let's do them. I want to do this. Pastor, let's do it. Do it. I, I, I want to create a website. I'm not, on, I'm not on the Internet. I don't know how to turn on my computer, but do whatever you want to do, Pastor. That's not who I thought I was going to get pushback from. I mean, that's not who I thought was going to be with me. I thought the young folk was going to be with me. But what I found out, the people who were my age was the people I had the most trouble from. But I was looking in the wrong direction. I assumed something that wasn't true. And it was my peers who went to Sunday school with me that didn't like the fact that I was now making decisions and making rules. They said, I'm with you, Andre, until Andre said something that they didn't want to hear. So Andre said something that they didn't like. So Andre put them in a position that they didn't want to be in. And instead of telling Andre, I don't think this is the best position for me, they told everybody else. And it wasn't the old folk. The old folk was the easiest people in the church to deal with. It was people my age and younger. And I learned a valuable lesson. Don't assume you know where the attack will come from. Now, even though I'm not going to go to scriptures, I will quote a few scriptures. One scripture, David says it this way. He said, it was not my enemy that reproached me or that I could have borne it. But it was he that took sweet counsel with me that ended up basically stabbing me in my back. It was the one that I thought I was cool with. It was the one that I thought I was close with. And this is something you need to understand. Everybody that's your friend is not your friend. 
And it takes the trials of life to show you that it's people that you thought forgot about you that is still with you. And that it's people that is with you that's forgot about you. Don't ever think you know how it's going to play out, how it's going to shake out, because people will always surprise you and not always in the good way. All right, let's move to number five. Somebody say number five. Let's put this one up. Number five. Not all help is helpful. Some help is harmful. You must know the difference. Not, 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 not all help is helpful. Some people help only so they can take over. Some people help only so that they can get the accolades in the end. Mess up as a pastor and forget to acknowledge one person that helped and you find out if they helped for the right reason or not. I, I mean to say Kelly did it and I accidentally say Teresa did it and if Kelly's getting ready to cut everybody up, we understand that Kelly didn't help for the right reason. So not all help is helpful. Some help is harmful. And there are people who want to help but they don't know what they're doing. There are people who want to cook, but their food ain't no good. And so they cook the biggest pot of greens. And unfortunately, you got to throw half of them away because not all help is helpful. Some help is harmful. And you got to know the difference. And, and here's the thing. Some help comes with strings attached. Not every gift is a free gift. Not, not, not every free meal is a really a free meal. You got to understand what he really wants behind the free meal. Not all help is helpful. Some help is harmful. And you got to know the difference. And so sometimes you, what you got to do, you got to say no to the help. Even though you need it, sometimes you're better off doing it by yourself than doing it with somebody who's going to mess everything up, cause a bunch of trouble, cause a bunch of pain. Not all help is helpful. You, you, you ever uh, remember as a young person being in the kitchen and you want to help mama in the kitchen cook and mama say, get out the kitchen. Get out, get away from because you're making more trouble than you are anything else. Yeah, I know you want to help, but you're getting in the way. You're messing stuff up. Even as a grown, full-grown adult, there's times that Devin don't want me in the kitchen because I'm just messing stuff up. Sometimes you need people to help me from a distance. It's okay to allow people to help you from a distance. Help me over there. It's okay to tell folks, you ain't got to get me nothing for Christmas this year. Because when they get you something, there's strings attached. They want you to get them something. And I don't plan on buying for you, so you don't have to buy for me. Come on, you just, just love me, wave at me, say Merry Christmas. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. Because not all help is helpful. And when you come to the holiday, you bring so much drama with you. How about you have your holiday over there? And I'll have my holiday over here. Because not all help is helpful. Know the difference. Learn the difference. And wisdom will teach you the people who are trying to help. Uh, Pastor Andre, I, I baked you a pie. Okay. 
and I come to get my pie, and you're on your porch in your bikini. No, I don't need your pie. Uh-uh. You, you, you got other motors behind your pie. I'll go buy a pie. And by the way, your pie ain't all that good in the, in the first place. I'm not going to get trapped up, tripped up. Keep your pie over there, and I'll go down the street and buy a pie. Because not all help is helpful. Some help will trip you up. It'll mess you up. Some, you have to learn how to discern when people have motives, ulterior motives, behind their help. Uh, let, let me move on, but, but not every man in your inbox saying good morning and grand rising it got good motives. Grand rising queen, get out of my inbox. I ain't got time for this. You done said grand rising to 27 other women. I ain't got time for this. I, I don't need it that bad. Move on. Let's, let's move on to number six. It's better to underpromise and overdeliver than to overpromise and underdeliver. Christian folk can be bad about this. They sell you how good. Listen, Pastor, I know how to put concrete down. I see y'all need sidewalks. I used to build build sidewalks for New York City when I lived in New York, all, all up and down the Main Street, all, all up and down uh, New York. I did all of that. So I know I can do it, but then when I let you do it, the sidewalk is leaning. You mean you can't build a sidewalk in Muncie, but you done built thousands of sidewalks in New York City? There's a lot of people will overpromise and underdeliver. You're much better setting people's expectations low and shooting above the expectation than setting people's expectations high and shooting below it. So in other words, just be honest. If you, if, if you can't do it, let them know, I can't do it, but I can probably figure it out. But since I can't do it and I got to figure it out, I'm not going to charge you prices like I'm the best person in town. If you want the best person in town, if you want the best electrician in town, why don't you get Brother Cooper? Don't get me because that's going to take me a while to figure it out. I'm not going to charge you like I'm that good. And there's people who will overpromise and underdeliver. You, 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 you see that girl on the Oscars on the red carpet? I can do your hair just like that. Don't let her touch your hair. Don't let her touch your weave. You'll be bald-headed in the next three months. Not everybody who shoots a big game can deliver. And one thing I've learned as a pastor, the more they talk, the more likely they came back it up. People who are secure in what they can do, they don't say a whole lot of words because their work speaks for itself. <laughs> Ask somebody about me. I ain't got to toot my horn. I ain't got to overpromise. Just ask somebody. Look around because I do what I say I'm going to do and I go above and beyond that. Instead of promising something, and coming way below it. Be careful of people who are always talking about, I'm going to be with you for the rest of your life. You don't know how long my life is going to be. Stop promising stuff. Stop saying stuff. Stop, as a man, stop telling people you're going to give, I'm going to give you the, the moon, the stars, 
the sky, the sun. You, 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 don't have a, you don't have water to pee in. And you're talking about you about to give all this. Just, just be honest. I, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to be the best man that I can. I may not be able to take you all over the world, but I'm going to love you right where I am. Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Underpromise and then overdeliver. All right. Let's, let, let's go here. I believe this is where we're going to give our honorable mentions. Not going to even speak on these honorable mentions at all. I'm just going to run through them. So let's start our first one, our first set of them. There's 11 of these as well. A, rest is a requirement. Rest is a requirement. B, harvest is also hard. Harvest is also hard. C, use laughter as a medicine. Use laughter as a medicine. Let's go to the next set of them. Waiting is a skill. Waiting is a skill. E, people give to what they love. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I want people give to what they love. These are just honorable mentions. F, God's work with others is not your business. Woo, I could preach on that. Let me just add to this. Mind your business. All right, let's go to the next set of them. G through I. Gifted people have private struggles. Ooh, that's a deep one there. Won't mess with it, though. H, social media is free branding. Ooh, I could preach on that, but I won't say nothing else. Just know it's free branding. I got to say something. However, don't be mad when people look at you a certain way and you brand yourself as that on social media. Enough of that. I, quitting is the only way to lose. Quitting is the only way to lose. And the last two honorable mentions, just because you can't take them with you does not mean you don't need their support. I, I will touch on that later in, 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 uh, in another thing I learned. I'll, I'll come back to that idea, but I'll say it again. Just because you can't take them with you does not mean you don't need their support. Last one. The grace you want is the grace you should give. The grace you want is the grace you should give. All right, I, I, I lied. I just do need to touch on this for just a second. It's funny how people judge other folks' sins and then are so gracious with their sins. If you want somebody to be gracious with your sins, be gracious with somebody else's sins. All right, moving right along. Here's the point number seven. This is important, and this is the reason why you got to operate in the same grace. There's a king, queen, and a fool in all of us. Who you feed the most is who responds the most. There's a king in me and then there's a fool in me. Whoever I feed the most is the one that will respond the most. So feed the fool, the fool will respond. Feed the king, the king will respond. Feed the queen, the queen will respond. Feed the fool, the fool will respond. I didn't, say we're, I didn't say we're talking about sinners. I'm talking about all of us. 
whoever you feed and they both live inside of you. So you have to be careful of feeding the wrong one. You have to feed one and starve the other. The late Donald Smith said, feelings are like gas. They will pass. You catch that? Everything you feel, you don't have to build a mountain to your feelings. Let me talk to you women for a second. In order to be a queen, you cannot build a mountain to your feelings because your feelings change. You like them today, you hate them tomorrow. So if you operate on liking them today and then operate differently on hating them tomorrow, then things are going to get out of whack. You're going to call them today. And tomorrow, you're going to key his car up. You're going to call him today and put him on Facebook. Oh, I got a good man. And the next day, you done changed your last name and everything on Facebook. <laughs> Don't go with the fluctuation of your feelings. Learn to feed the queen in you or the king in you. And another thing, like I said before, when you feed the king and the queen in you, you don't always have to respond to everything. When, when, when you're operating like a king, the king has people under them that do what needs to be done. So you don't have to fight your battles if you've got somebody under you serving you. And who's under you serving you? It is the angels that do the bidding of the God that lives inside of you. So you don't have to fuss and fight over everything. Just be still and know that I am God. Stop fussing. Stop fighting. Learn how to operate like a king and operate like a queen and learn to starve the fool. But here's the thing I need you to understand. If you feed the fool the most, don't be surprised when people treat you like a fool. Don't be surprised when people overlook you. I always get overlooked. Don't nobody ever talk about me. Maybe because you always act like the fool. If you act like the king or you act like the queen, people will treat you like the king and they'll treat you like the queen. And the times that you slip up and act like the fool, they won't remember the fool. They'll remember the king or they'll remember the queen. Let me say it again. There's a king and queen and a fool in all of us. Who you feed the most is who responds the most. Let's go to number eight. This is something I can give a little time to. Three groups of people in the church. A, the critics. B, the uncommitted. C, the committed. A, the critics. B, the uncommitted. And C, the committed. Let me explain this. This is what most pastors do that makes the most mistake is they spend most of their time preaching to the critics or preaching about the critics, or they spend most of their time dealing with the uncommitted. Here's the wisdom that a pastor has to learn, that I have to learn, is it's very similar to the king and the fool. Whoever you feed the most is the one that responds the most. So if you feed the critics, the critics will respond. If you feed the uncommitted, the uncommitted will respond. But if you feed the committed, the committed will respond. In other words, instead of talking about y'all don't give and y'all don't tithe and, and y'all won't act right and all y'all doing is sin. And here's the problem with that. The people who are coming to church many times are not the folk you're really mad at. 
The folk you're mad at stayed at home, but you're beating up the people that's coming, talking about the folk that stayed at home. Why waste the committed people's time talking about folk who won't do right? Why beat them up for the other folk? So what you do is you preach to the committed. You treat everybody like they're committed. You preach to the committed because what happens is the uncommitted look at the committed and then they begin to grow and become the committed because the committed get all the shine. But if you do it the opposite way and you preach on the critics, the uncommitted will become the critics because the critics are getting all the shine. Whoever you feed is who's going to respond. So what I've learned to do is I preach like y'all all give. I preach like y'all all read the Bible. Sometimes when I talk about the Bible, I know y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't read the Bible, but I don't treat you like that. I preach like you're committed. I preach like you're focused. I preach like you're doing right. And, and you know what? I used to be frustrated by the people who don't know the vision statement. We say it every single Sunday, but instead of worrying about that, I just keep on talking about it. Keep on talking about because the ones who gonna get it gonna get it, and the ones who don't want it don't want it. So ain't no need me wasting my time on the ones who don't want it. I focus on the ones who want it. That leads me to another point that that'll help you as well. Number nine, coming close to a close. Number nine, you must think more on the ones who stayed than on the ones who left. I. I'm saying this as a pastor and a leader, but I'm saying it to you as well. You focus most of the time on the people that left you, and you forget the people who stayed. Now, it could be more that left you, but focus on the ones who stayed. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, I woke up this morning, and I had so many happy birthday texts and comments and, and posts already. Now, it would be foolish for me to look and figure out all the people who didn't say happy birthday. Now, I told her happy birthday, and she didn't say nothing to me. Why focus on the people who didn't do when I can focus on the ones who did do? So why would I focus on the people who are not doing it? You have to learn that the problem with a lot of us is we put our attention on everybody that left. Why are you depressed? Well, so-and-so left me. Well... My, 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 my daddy left me when I was 12. But then you have a stepdaddy that's, that came in there. Yeah, my stepdaddy is awesome. Well, why don't we focus on the stepdaddy instead of focusing on the daddy that left? Now, now I'm not saying the daddy that left didn't hurt you, but do you realize how powerful it was for the stepdaddy to step in and make up all the difference? So stop focusing on the people who left. Focus on the ones who stayed. As a pastor, there's some people that, that left the church. There's some people that talked about me. But there's a whole bunch of people that didn't talk about me. There's some people that didn't give to me, but there's a whole bunch of people that did give to me. There's some people that when my father died, I thought they would say something because when their father died, I was there for them. But there was thousands of people that said something to me when my father did die. So don't focus on the ones who left. Focus on the ones who stayed. It's an evil attitude that always looks at the negative when the positive is just around the corner. Why don't you look at the positive? Accentuate the positive, decentuate the negative. So you must think more on the ones who stayed than on the ones who left. Guess what? Y'all still here. Why am I worried about the people that left? Why am I worried about the people that stabbed me in the back when y'all here? Well, I guess what? If they left, I really didn't need them. 
if they left, maybe I wasn't the pastor for them. If they left, maybe it's a good thing they left because they were probably going to take some folk with them if they didn't leave. So good riddance to the ones that left. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord spit you. Thank God for you walking out of my life because it allowed the people that need to be in my life to stay. Here's the thing. The, the scripture talks about the wheat and the tares. They grow up together. So when the tares leave you, they do the job for you. You don't have to pull up the weeds when the weeds go ahead and leave you. So when folk leave you, just know that the weed went ahead and left and the good part stayed. All right, here's number 10. It's lonely at the top. The higher you go up, the fewer people there are that you can lean on. A lot of you guys want success. I want success. I want to be successful. I want, I want my business to take off. But when that stuff starts happening, the higher you go up, the smaller your circle gets. Because you can't trust everybody the higher you go up. So sometimes the reason why people leave you and God allows them to leave you is because you couldn't take them where you were going anyway. The air is thinner up there. The thinking is different up there. I, 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 I can't drink all day and get high all day and be the best business owner that I need to be. So guess what? Some of my friends got to stay on the lower level. But guess what? It gets a little lonely, though, because sometimes you want to do what they're doing. You want to go where they're going. You, you got, isn't it funny that folk who don't have jobs take more vacations than folk that do have jobs? I mean, how are you on another vacation and I'm over here working my fingers to the bone, but guess what? They in a whole lot of debt that you ain't in. You got a home with your name on it. You got a car that's paid for. They ain't got nothing. They on vacation. So you can't look at what other folk are doing. Everybody can't go where you're going. And it gets a little lonely. But guess what? You learn how to deal. Because you can't lean on everybody at the top. But that brings me to one of my honorable mentions. I said just because you can't take them with you doesn't mean you don't need their support. You, you ever notice that a high rise that goes high in the air, the base is bigger at the bottom than it is at the top. If you look at the Sears Tower, it's called the Willis Tower now, the Sears Tower, it's skinny at the top, it's big at the bottom. So just because you can't take everybody with you doesn't mean you don't need their support. So don't step on folk on your way to the top. Because some of those people you're going to need when you get up there. So learn that some people are just there for your base support. They may not be able to go as high as you're going, but that doesn't mean that you don't need them in some way. So humble yourself. Don't get so high that you forget folks' name. Tarina? What's your name again? You mean, you mean I didn't pay tithes in this church? I didn't know you. Now you didn't preach for Bishop Jacob. You don't know my name. No, don't, don't, don't play me. No, don't get so high you forget everybody that supported you along the way. So yes, it's lonely at the top, but thank God for everybody that pushed you up. Because some people sacrifice so you could go higher than them. 
Uh, it was a mama and a daddy somewhere that, that took you on AAU trips and, and paid all this stuff, and they know you ain't going to be able to be no professional. They just giving you the best that they can, and they push you. Don't get so high and mighty. You forget them once you get up. Here's the last one, and then we'll go into our three verses. Here's the last one, number 11. This is the greatest part of it all. The wins are more impactful than the losses. I, I, I posted just a couple days ago, and I, 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 was, I was shocked at how much it resonated because I was being somewhat playful. But I said, pastoring is like eating crab legs. There's a whole lot of work, a whole lot of brokenness, and it gets messy at times. But when you get that one piece of meat, Dipped in that butter, it makes it worth it all. And I made the statement that one soul dipped in the blood of Jesus makes it worth it all. I used to think pastors were just saying cliches when they said one person makes a difference. You can have a thousand people that do not overcome their addiction and just one person that really grows and blossoms. It does wonders in a pastor's heart. We really do what we do for the one. That's why the Bible says Jesus would leave the 99 to go after the one. When I see one person get a breakthrough, it makes a difference. So, so the wins are more impactful than the losses. Brother Josh Hollowell, that priest here, just uh, before we went on sabbatical, him and I were talking. He was saying he had some, some uh, young men saying they wanted to become pastors. And he told him this. He said, if you're not willing to die, this is the wrong job for you. Because pastoring, you have to die. It hurts to do this. But the wins are more impactful than the losses. When, when there's a marriage at the brink of divorce and you counsel them and you pray with them and it still folds apart, man, it hurts. But when there's a marriage at the brink of divorce, you counsel them and you pray with them and somehow that marriage shifts and it begins to turn. And next thing you know, they got 15, 16, 17, 20 years together and they're still making it. And they come back and say, thank you, pastor, for praying with me. It is just the one win that make all the losses. And so I'm focusing on the wins. I'm focusing on the people who stayed. In the next 11 years, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's, what's it's going to be. My, I used to have a, a thought of, of just church growth, 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 growth. And there's nothing wrong with growth, but I don't care. I just need a few folk to get it. I just need one or two people to turn around. I just need a few folk to get delivered, and it makes it all worth it all. Yeah. As we go into the verse, let me say this. I, I heard a... Uh, uh, a preacher say this, and I thought it was very powerful. We, many pastors, they're looking for growth because growth shows that they're doing something good. But this pastor said cancer grows too. Not everything that's growing is good. Toxic people grow. You got churches that are full of people, but it's a toxic church. I would rather have five committed on fire for God folk than 500 hellions that come to church and act like they know God. I would rather have a few folk that get it right than a bunch of people just playing the game. 
And one thing that's empowered me and blessed me, I'm seeing how y'all really are going after God for yourself. You're not perfect, and I, I know I say it all the time, this ain't perfect temple, this is deliverance temple. We all got a bunch of junk, mess, trouble. We're not the perfect people. We, 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 we may not be the, the folk that have the white angel dress on. When, when we go into church, the angels don't sing. When we come to church, we're wondering if the fire going to come down when we come to church. But we still love the Lord. We're still pressing into the things of God. We still believe we're going to be everything that God called us to be. I would rather do life with those people than the people that got everything all together. And the reason why is because I don't have everything all together. So why am I pastoring folk got everything all together? I won't seek people that got it out the mud from the bottom. I come from the bottom, but now I'm on the top. I am deliverance temple because God has delivered me and set me free and turned me around. I may not be where I am and where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I may not be who I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. I thank God that he's delivering me. I thank God that he's touching me. I thank God that he's loving on me. I thank God that he is increasing little old me and little old you. And just one, two, three, four, five of us that believe that and folk online that believe that is worth me pastoring another day, another year, another decade because it's worth it all. Here we're here we, here we closing. And then we'll move into our communion. So Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Now, now I'm, I'm taking this out of its context because in its context, God is talking about getting a man to judge Israel. But what I've learned is that the same direction God did something in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he does the same direction in the opposite way. So because Israel was so out of whack, he was bringing a man to punish them. But because God loves you so much, Deliverance Temple, he's calling a man, me, to turn things around in your life. And so we're going to end up on Isaiah 46, 11, because I'm 46, and this is my 11th year as a pastor. So let's read 9, 10, and then 11. Isaiah 46 and 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I need to announce to you, deliver simple. God says his purpose will stand. I don't care what the devil's done in your life. I don't care what you lost. I don't care what you cried about. I don't care how many times you've been addicted. I don't care how many times you failed. I'm here to let you know God's purpose will stand yes, in your life. Verse 11. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said. That I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. I will read it again myself. Go ahead and make it transparent. Isaiah 46 11, because I'm 46 today in my 11th year pastoring. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. 
from a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. I said God's purpose in your life will stand. But I'm the man God has called so that the purpose in your life will come to pass. If you've been connected to me, you weren't connected to me by accident. If you have called me to be your pastor or you call me your pastor, it's not by accident. God has arrested me and brought me here, which you don't, many people don't know how bad it was because I barely talk about it. But when I was in college, I was trying to run away from Muncie. I had no plan on being in Muncie. But God arrested me where I was and pulled me from a drunken stupor and said, one day you will preach my word. Tequila bottles around me, Boone's Farm around me, junk around me, puking in the toilet and God said one day you will preach my word because he said I'm calling somebody from the east and I'm bringing them and I'm planting them in a place so that my purpose will go forth my purpose will stand it's not about me it's not about you it's about the purpose and the plan of God for your life for I know the plans that I have for you plans to prosper you to give you a hope and a future it's not over till the fat lady sings and God ain't going to let the fat lady tune up. You still got a chance to make it. You still got a chance to recover. And I am the man God has assigned to help you get there. And then he closes by saying this. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Let's stand to our feet. I'm here to let you know God's plan in your life, it will matter. It will happen. And I'm the one connected to help you to do so. And it's not just me. It's my wife as well. My wife helps me help you. So not only do you praise me, but can we give a round of applause for my wife? And there's several others. But it's our job to help the purpose of God in your life come to pass. And what we're going to do, we're going to together take communion and we're going to close. I, I did not grab a communion cup, so would you just bring me one? Let's go ahead and bring our communion graphic up. Let's start with Mark 14, 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Before you do that, I do need you to understand the promise of God or the, or, or the process of God. He breaks, his, he, breaks his, he breaks it as he blesses it. So if you feel broken in any way, it's okay. You're blessed even when you're broken. So let's take the bread and let's eat. Somebody say this with me. Say blessed, blessed. But, broken. but broken. Broken, but still believing. Mark 14, 23, and he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. Let us all drink from the cup. This is the cup of the covenant of God, of his blood washing us. We're not perfect people, but we're still washed people. Final verse, verse 24. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed 
for many. Let's bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we come before you humbly and thanking God for all that you are doing. God, we appreciate you and magnify you. God, we thank you for these things that you've taught me down through the years, God. Thank you for the people that have partnered with us, God. Thank you for where we are heading and where we are going. God, you alone get the glory. You alone get the praise. Now, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus in the part of their sins, let them just say these simple words. Father God, come into my life and with the, son, and with the blood of your son, wash me and save me and fulfill your purpose in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe it, come on, make some noise. Hallelujah. God bless you all. We love you so much. You are dismissed.